Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Women's Place Podcast. This season, we'll be delving into the organizations that have served women throughout the fight for equality and equal rights. We'll also discuss the organizations that serve us today in efforts to pass the Equal Rights Amendment and other national and international legislation with the final aim of equal and equitable existence for all genders. This season begins with American organizations and will branch out into organizations around the world as we go. Come along for this journey and see the power of women united for our cause. Today, Season 2, Episode 1 is about ladies' aid, relief, benevolent, and missionary societies from the mid to late 1800s. It's Women's History Month, and it's just the perfect time to look at the power of women united. And happy International Women's Day to you all. You might wonder why we're spending an entire season on women's organizations. Why are they so important? In this and the coming episodes, you'll begin to see the importance as we delve into the power of women when they unite. But to me, why these organizations are so central to women's history is that they gave women a place outside of the home. They give women something to do, a way to impact their own communities and the world at large. They gave women power to affect change that had previously been reserved for men and a handful of independently wealthy women who defied odds and social norms. Maybe at some point we'll look at those. But women's place in the 19th century, and for centuries and centuries before that, had been the home. Women were wives, mothers, daughters, property, etc. They didn't have a role in society except to bear and raise children and to instill in them all the righteousness deemed necessary. We've talked about this in previous episodes if you want more context. But in the mid-1800s, things began to change. There are a few things that could have precipitated such change. For example, Britain was being led by a woman. Queen Victoria. Although the queen herself noted that woman's place was the home and she was confined to the gentler ideals, she served as a high-power influential woman. Also, with the Crimean War and the U.S. Civil War, women found themselves running the show at home and in their communities in addition to aiding war efforts and caring for the injured all of Florence Nightingale. A common trend in women's history is that changes in women's role, woman's place, are often precipitated by a devastating war. Revolutionary War and French Revolution, the U.S. Civil War, Crimean War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, and Korea. Each of those wars played an important role in the evolution of women's rights and feminist movements along the way. But, I'm going off on a tangent, organizations are important because they drew women out of the home, under the guise of fulfilling the home-centered expectations of them, namely, piety, purity, virtue, etc. In that piety, though, religiousness, women found themselves drawn into service of others. Service of the poor, the needy, the hungry, lonely, abandoned, oppressed. The moral imperative brought them to gather together, usually religiously, to better the world and the experiences of disadvantaged persons in that world. So began Ladies' Aid, Relief, Auxiliary, Benevolence, and missionary societies. 
It's all a different way of really saying the same thing. I group all these kinds of associations together because they all fit under that umbrella of Christian service, the Good Samaritan kind of mentality. And in the church, which had oppressed women for so long, in that same church, women found a voice, a purpose, and a power. It's a unique contradiction, but that power launched all of the feminist movements that have graced our world ever since. So, let's get into what those societies were. The religious awakenings of the late 18th and early 19th centuries created an evolving role for women in the church and in faith. Frances Trollope wrote that she was surprised on a trip to the States that men were so unreligious and women so engaged with the faith. That was different. That increased religiosity snowballed into women's benevolence societies. Susan Ware, in her book called American Women's History, A Short Introduction, which I highly recommend, she states that by one estimate, at least 10% of all the adult white women in the Northeast participated in some form of benevolent reform during this period. The groups spanned a diverse set of aims and interests, some societies centered on motherhood, like the Dorchester Maternal Association. It was founded in 1816 by a group of mothers who were, quote, aware of our highly responsible situation as mothers and as professing Christians, unquote, and who wanted to, again, quote, commend our dear offspring to God. There were other types of associations, too, like moral reform societies to hold men and women to a high standard of purity, that which was already expected of women. Associations like the Boston Female Moral Reform Society dedicated their time to helping, quote, fallen women, prostitutes, aiming to shame the men who visited them in the name of female moral superiority. There were also benevolent associations that dealt with social problems through charity, like helping widows, orphans, inmates, the poor, those afflicted with addiction. Other groups supported missionary work abroad, and others still fought for temperance at home. We'll look at some organizations in more detail now. So let's go back to 1842, to one of the women's organizations I found. It's what is now referred to as the Relief Society. It was a philanthropic and educational women's group based in the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or what you might have heard referred to as LDS. Founded in Illinois in 1842 by Sarah Granger Kimball and Margaret A. Cook, the Relief Society has now grown to over 7 million members in 188 countries, and it goes strong today. It started as an initiative to sew clothing for workers who were building the LDS Nauvoo Temple. They invited their neighbors, and they formed a lady society. Interestingly, Joseph Smith empowered this group by giving it an official position within the church. Originally, he and some other men initiated 20 women as the founding members. They helped the women sort of run the business of the meeting and left the room any time women needed to discuss amongst themselves and approve or deny motions. Eventually, those women... Uh, in, initiated seven more, and Smith suggested that they elect a presiding officer and a few assistants. Those women were elected, and Emma Smith, Joseph Smith's first wife, took on the role as what we would now think of as president. They named it the Benevolent Society and determined what they would do, what their aims would be, and Joseph Smith gave the association their first seed money. They built a community of women that would do good work to help others and, quote, strengthen the virtues of the female community. 
this wasn't the only effort. Another early, earlier one I found was the New York Orphan Asylum Society. In 1806, Isabella Graham and Eliza Hamilton, whose name you might recognize from Hamilton the Musical, she was Alexander Hamilton's wife, together they began the society when Graham, who already served as the president of the Society for the Relief of Poor Widows with Small Children, she decided to take care of six orphans on her own instead of putting them into the poorhouse where they'd have to work for their food and uh, their housing. This organization still today supports upwards of 4,500 children per year with revenues over $50 million, and it's now known as the Graham Wyndham Nonprofit. Another organization that was extremely influential was founded by Elizabeth Blackwell. You might recognize that name from school, too. She was the first woman in America to receive a medical degree. When the Civil War broke out, women wanted to help, but when they sent jelly through the post, the jars shattered. When they sent meat, it spoiled before reaching its destination. They could knit socks, but they didn't know where to send them. So Elizabeth Blackwell organized 4,000 women to meet the supply needs of the Union Army through concerted efforts. This vast network of women became the Women's Central Association of Relief. Blackwell also coordinated through this organization to train women as nurses to care for wounded soldiers. In the two and a half years they coordinated efforts from 1861 to 1863, they donated goods valued at over $500,000 at the time. In, today, in today's dollars, that's over $14.6 million of goods. Those goods consisted of shirts, pants, socks, jackets, sheets, blankets, towels, mosquito nets, jelly, pickles, dried fruit, bandages, you name it. In addition to those donations, though, they also raised and donated funds that totaled over $35,000 at the time. That's nearly a million dollars today in today's money. What an incredible effort. It's no surprise that these are the years during which so many things changed for women. What power they must have realized was inherent in them. Another wartime association was the Ladies' Aid Society of Philadelphia. After the war, more and more women's organizations popped up. One of them was the Women's Foreign Missionary Society of the Methodist Episcopal Church. In 1869, eight women gathered together to found the association, which would raise funds to recruit and send female missionaries and women medical missionaries abroad. In their first year, they raised over $4,000, about $77,000 today, to send Isabella Thoburn and Dr. Clara Swain to India. Thoburn coordinated the organization of schools there, and Dr. Swain brought Western medicine to India and gained access to areas that people, the other outsiders, especially men, weren't able to access. They would raise a lot more money in that organization and send missionary women to other Asian countries like Korea, Japan, and China. Another similar group was founded in 1874, the Women's Board of Missions. Like the Women's Foreign Missionary Society, they sought to serve women and children around the world, sending female missionaries and funding projects like schools, orphanages, and hospitals. Most of these organizations were headquartered in the North, but that didn't mean Southern women weren't getting involved in these kinds of organizations. They also moved out of the home and into these kinds of things. In fact, women of the North and the South eventually united in the Presbyterian Church in the Women's General Missionary Society, which supported both local and international efforts. 
This organization also lives on today as Presbyterian Women. This is just a cross-section of women's benevolent relief, aid, and missionary societies of the 19th century. But the impact women had through these organizations was immense, and this group of associations laid the groundwork for the future of women organizing for causes like abolition, women's rights, education, temperance, suffrage, and eventually equality. These are the organizations we'll explore this season on Women's Place podcast, and I hope you'll join us next week as we delve more specifically into women's involvement in the abolitionist movement. Until then, this Women's History Month, remember these women and the hard work they put in so that Woman's Place is wherever she wants to be.